Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 113 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we talk with Sonia Harris, garden educator and advocate about gardening with children. She's passionate about the topic, and I think it will be infectious. The plant profile is on Anise Hyssop, and we share what's going on in the garden, as well as some upcoming local gardening events. This episode, we're joined by Sonia Harris. She is the founder of the Bullock Gardening Project, and we're going to be talking to her all about gardening with children. Welcome, Sonia. Hi, Kathy. It's so great to be here. Thank you. So great to have you. And I think this is going to be a topic that's near and dear to many listeners, because not only do we might we have a child in our lives that we want to introduce to gardening? But I think a lot of us have childhood memories of somebody who mentored us in the garden and showed us plants. So we can talk about some of those memories and how that helped us as well. Oh, it's wonderful. This is, you know, my favorite topic to talk about. So it's very easy. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And I think before we jump into that, let's talk a little bit about you, Sonia, and baby Sonia. We're going to dial it all the way back and say, were you born with chlorophyll in your veins and a green thumb or did you come to gardening later in life? Well, you know, I I believe I was definitely born with chlorophyll and soil. You know, I, I was brought up in a home with, um, uh, my father was from Harlem. And so, you know, he was a city guy and moved to South Jersey, like around 12, 13, something like that. Lived with my grandmother on a farm. But my mom was, you know, raised on like farmland. So that's what she knew. You know, it was really interesting with her. My mom had a background where she grew up with her parents, my grandparents, who lived off the land. They had come up from North Carolina. They um, had sharecropped. And, you know, they built their home on this little plot of land in South Jersey. So my mom grew up with goats and cows and chickens and growing their own food. So when we were coming up in this little suburb in South Jersey, I remember, you know, our yard was little, but my mom had cherry trees and we had cherry tree. We had peach trees. Uh, She had sassafras because I remember being sick as a kid and watching my mom go out there with a little pen knife and she would scrape the bark, cut pieces of the tree and come in and steep it and make tea for us. So I have nothing but great outdoor memories And of course, being a child of the 70s, a Gen X kid, we were pushed outside. (laughs) You know, it was you go out and play. Mm -hmm. So I remember just enjoying all of those things, being outside. I loved playing in dirt. I remember getting in trouble for me and my best friend when I was little. We made mud pies 
out of my friend's mother's garden and we ended up having a mud fight and I remember walking <laughs> down the street because they just lived two houses over and walking home and my mom and her mom were just like, what happened? <laughs> we're covered head to toe in mud. But those are my happiest memories. You know, then as I got older, I think just, you know, just being a teenager brings all sorts of things. So all of a sudden, I didn't want to be dirty. And I played sports. I played softball. I played a little field hockey. Uh, I ran, but I didn't want to be dirty. I was about having my nails done and having my hair done and dressing cute. And are we going to the mall? All of those things that teenagers go through. You know, I always loved nature. At the same time, I still love nature. Longwood Gardens, like I live very close to Longwood Gardens. Uh, I'm very fortunate to live in the garden capital of the U.S., this area between Philly and South Jersey and Delaware. And I always enjoyed going to those gardens. But, you know, just as I got older, I really got away from it. It was like, oh, I don't need to know how to do this. I don't need to know how to to plant anything because I can always buy food, you know? And I look back and I just kind of laugh. Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit to when I had my son and I had my son at age 21 and, you know, I was still in my head a diva. I always loved shoes and, you know, I was raising him to love fashion and, and do all those things, but at the same time still play outside very, very active with him and making sure that he also loved being outside. I do believe in children getting outside. And at the same time, I was an education major. I remember when he was in preschool and he learned about gardening and he wanted to grow carrots. And I was like, yeah, that's not mommy. I brought him right to my mom and was like, grandma can do that with you. And they grew a little garden. Because I was like, I'm not putting my hands in the dirt. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and it, it's it's funny how how life, you know, just makes you chuckle. Uh, so here I am, you know, my kid is like all into the outside. Boy Scouts, even when I was a Girl Scout, I was a Girl Scout. I did not camp. Because I was like, ew, spiders. I don't want to be outside with that. I didn't camp. My son loved camping. I never went camping with him because I was just like, that's not my thing. So my brother went with him. My, my brother had to be the scout mom. And I was like, I'll do all the other stuff. I'll go shopping with you. We can go on trips, but I'm not getting in the dirt. So even as a teacher, and I taught special education, I taught special ed for 25 years. You know, we go outside. I can play games with you, but no, Miss Harris is not getting dirty. If your hands are dirty, don't touch Miss Harris. I, you know, that whole thing. So one day <laughs> I was just in my classroom. I was working with my, my uh, co-teacher. We were just talking about how dumb a math lesson was. It was a lesson on measurement for first grade. I was the special ed teacher. My friend, Missy, um, was the gen ed teacher. We were just talking about this lesson being so ridiculous. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're giving kids tape measures and they're measuring their arms and the table legs. And But I had this little girl who 
just struggled with one-to-one correspondence. And I was trying to figure out what's a good way to get her to connect with this lesson. Hmm. So she loved flowers. She loved being outdoors. I just took her outside with the tape measure and was like, let's measure the flowers. So here we are out in the playground measuring grass and flowers. And I came back in and I had a, a meeting that afternoon with my principal. And I had said to him, like, you know, it'd be cool. What if we did a garden? So, and I'm just thinking we can stick rulers there and kids can just learn measurement constantly because the way this math was presented was called a spiral curriculum. You introduce it and then you just leave it. The The assumption is, well, kids will see it later and they'll remember. Maybe, maybe for some kids, but when you have kids who have some severe learning differences, that's not always the case. So I was trying to do something to imprint these lessons in the minds of my students. And I just figured if we get them down and, and dirty, you know, let them actually do something where they can dig in the dirt, they'll remember that. Because as an educator, all of that makes sense. Now, was I digging in the dirt? No, I was not. <laughs> I had during this time, like, like, just let me just give this as, as an example, We had moved. My son was getting ready to go into high school. He's an artist. And I wanted to move to this area uh, because the high school was amazing. They were known for their top art program. So we moved to this town and, you know, it's, it's out in farmland. And I was like, oh my goodness, now I'm going to go plant begonias. Don't ask me why, but that was just what was in my head. I was going to plant some begonias. Honey, I put that that trowel in the ground. This giant spider ran out. I left everything in the front yard. <laughs> when when my son came home, when Jared came home on the bus, I met him at the door and I was like, "Bud, can you please go pick up mommy's things because a spider came out?" And I was done. I was like, "Done." Landscaper, I had shrubs. It was very manicured, very like lawn doctor would come by. You know, I wasn't into nature the way I am now. I I am very thankful for that journey though, because I still always loved being out in nature. I still considered myself, you know, a tree hugger, a lover of the earth, but I didn't want to get quote unquote dirty. I'm making the air quotes like you can see them. I didn't want to be dirty because I was too busy with my nails and everything else. So here I am, this teacher, and the principal's like, go for it. You know, I contacted Ahmed Hassan, who had had that show on DIY called Yard Crashers, because that was the only person I knew who did anything remotely <laughs> about gardening. The only, the only thing I could think of, because I was just like, I need someone who can help us. Oh, he has a garden show. Let me contact him. He got back to me really quickly. And learned very, very quickly that I knew absolutely nothing about actual gardening. I knew what I needed to know to teach my students, but I didn't actually have the practical application of it. Because when he said, what do you want to grow? And I said, well, tomatoes. He said, why? And I said, because we're from Jersey. That's what we do. And he goes, that's not what Jersey does. And I was like, yes, it is. Everyone knows you come through Jersey, you got to get Jersey tomatoes, Jersey white corn. 
And he's like, yeah, Jersey does blueberries and cranberries. And I was like, no, Jersey does corn and tomatoes. (laughs) He's like, okay, well, what kind of flowers would you want to plant with your students? And there I was struck again. I was like, um, like tulips. And he said, why? And I went, well, they're my favorites. I said, we could plant tulip seeds. That's how much I knew, Kathy. Tulip seeds. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm talking about tulip seeds. Yeah. Through all of that, Ahmed then sent me on this journey of learning. And he had me read Richard Louvre and, oh my gosh, so many different people. And then because I'm an educator and I'm a self-proclaimed nerd, I love a peer-reviewed journal. So I started looking up peer-reviewed articles about the benefits of gardening with kids. And as I learned more, I just fell in love with the idea and concepts. There wasn't a lot from the U.S., but there was a lot that was from around Europe. And just reading how it benefited kids, not just with disabilities, but all children, and the the markers that it left on the brain, for me, was just fascinating. So I was able to intellectualize the benefits of gardening with kids, still never putting my hands into soil. You know, we started planning to do a garden at my school. It was funny because, you know, Ahmed had connected us to a landscaper and he's talking all this stuff and I'm just nodding my head and going, okay, but so how much do we have to raise? How much do we have to raise? That I, I'm thinking, let's just get it built. Luckily, you know, a year passed and Ahmed had come to Philly for the home show. Me and a couple other teachers met up with him. We took him out to dinner and we just started talking about the benefits that this would have on our children. And my my co-teacher, one of my co-teachers and my friend who had actually gardened was one of the people who came with us. And she's t- really talking with him about gardening. And she has the actual application and practice of it. I'm here talking about it from the guise of a special education teacher and how we could, you know, do this with kids and how we could help put that imprint into their brains and help them learn And he came back like a few months later and said, hey, I'm going to get a group of my friends from around the country, superstars in gardening, and we're just going to come do your schoolyard, old school yard crasher style. Wow. Right? And then I went into planning mode. I can plan. So I was like, yes, here's what we have to do. And I am all about, you know, teachers are all about getting donations, You can tell a teacher, hey, you don't have, we don't have budget for books or you don't have a budget for crayons. We will find a way to raise that money and to get people to donate things to us. And so I was used to being that teacher that that was always asking for some kind of donation. And then you go to people and you go look them in the eyes. And if they say no, you're like, really? For children? For children, you're saying no to kids. So then, of course, people were like, okay, yeah, we'll do this. So we had hotel rooms. We had, thankfully, the town that I was teaching in, in Glassboro, New Jersey, everyone I went to was like, absolutely, you tell us what you need. So we had lumber companies, we had soil people, we had um, plant people, stone people. We were able to build this beautiful garden. And I remember the first day when we had to actually start tearing out the sod. People there were shocked because I had actually started ripping it up. They're like, she touched the dirt with her nails. And I was like, I'm doing it. I'm touching it. I, I was into it. I'm like, yes, rip it all out. Let's do this. 
because by this time, I was really passionate about what gardening could do for kids. So it sounds like it was a quick journey, but it was really like a three-year journey from the time I contacted him to the time that I actually did it. But we're also talking about lifelong, where I was flashing back to doing certain things with my mom, like snapping green beans and going outside and picking peaches and let's take the stones out of the peaches and let's cut them up and how I used to love doing that with her. So as the garden is, is coming into shape and just looking gorgeous and, you know, just a bunch of volunteers doing all of this. I remember the day after everyone left and I'm sitting with my friend on a bench and we're looking at the garden before school starts. And I literally went, what the hell do we do now? Because I was like, I, I don't know any of these plants. I don't know what's out here. I don't know how to take care of it. So Brie Arthur was one of the people who had come. And so she became my horticultural Mrs. Miyagi, per se. You know, And I would get on the phone and I'd call her and I'm like, Brie, what is this plant? Because her and Ahmed and everyone had taken all the tags off of everything. So it would have this aesthetic look. So I'm looking around like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this plant is. How do I water this? What do I need to do for this? Why is it yellow? What's going on? <laughs> so every day I would call her and she literally would tell me and like guide me through. And then I would watch YouTube. I went to Bree's house. Bree would come up here that summer. I had the shrubs at my house. I had them taken out and I started gardening and I just figured, you know what? I have to do this because if I'm going to teach it to kids, I got to learn how to do it for myself. And I fell in love. I fell head over heels in love. And I had, and I had started um, like a blog at that time and I called it from shoes to seeds because, hmm. you know, I'm a person who was like all about, you know, collecting shoes, like an, like a, <laughs> just, that was my hobby, shoes and purses and all of those things. And very quickly turned into how many seed companies are out there and where can I get these seeds? And I want to grow t all these tomatoes and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I went from having this manicured yard to now, like I have a meadow on one part of my yard, ripped all of the shrubs out. Everything is foodscaped and I grow food year round. And that was, let me see, we did the garden for the school in 2015. In 2016, we started winning awards because when I, you know, I said, we sat on that bench and was like, what do we do? we had to figure out how to make it part of the curriculum. So what I did is, you know, our school at the time was first, second, and third grade only. So I started looking at all of the curriculum that we had, which is a love of mine. I went to grad school for um, curriculum, to write curriculum and how to understand developing curriculum. So I started tying it in with the themes that we were doing every trimester. So I was really really geared myself towards teaching across the entire curriculum through gardening. And even like the music teacher, the art teacher, the gym teacher, they would all get involved and it became this school-wide movement. And then it became this town-wide movement. And my superintendent started, started sending me to other superintendents to talk about this. And we started winning awards from the state. You know, we are the garden state, even though 
at the time we were a little behind in, you know, gardening in schools. But I became friends with our secretary of agriculture and he was like, you know, anything in New Jersey, anything kids grow can be cooked and fed to them in the cafeteria. So we started doing that. And there's nothing like seeing kids eat radishes and onions and I mean, Swiss chard. I had never had Swiss chard, but the chef cooked it. And these kids were like, it's from our garden and they're eating it. And it really just became something that I like where I went, I can't believe that this is my life. I can't believe that I found a passion later in life. So in 2017, where other teachers started contacting me like, hey, how do we do this? How do we get this past our school board? And I was just fortunate that my superintendent taught me how to chart things so it could be passed through school boards. And I just started helping other teachers. And I noticed that, hey, if I'm a, if we have a 501c3, it's easier for teachers and school boards to accept donations from one group than from like, okay, you're getting gloves from Globus or Shoa, and you're getting soil from this person and you're getting seeds from this person. We became like, I became the hub. And then I could give donations to a school or to a teacher and the school board would approve it easier. And then in 2019 or really 2018, I knew I was going to leave teaching. Teaching had become this animal that I didn't recognize anymore. It just, I, I can't say that I lost the passion because I never did. I, the passion is still there, but it just became to, I came to a place where I was like, you know what? I see how this is affecting my kids. When I have mm-hmm. children who, you know, they come to me and I have an IEP and I'm meeting with parents and other teachers who are saying, yeah, this kid's never going to read. Yeah. This kid, we just have to get them through. And I wasn't that type of a teacher. I believe that everyone has a gift. You just have to find it. And I had this one child who changed my life and who's still in my life. Like I tell him he's my adopted son. His mother sits on my board (laughs) now, but I remember this kid from first grade, second grade, you know, he used to hide in the bathroom. So he didn't have to go into class. And then when he came to me in third grade and I was just listening to him and observing him and watching him talk, and he loved going out to the garden. He started telling me all these facts about the plants and insects. And I just listened to him and I went, how do you know so much? And he was like, oh, I love listening to the nature channel. So I started just taking him outside and I would teach him through the garden. And this kid, I ended up fighting with his mom, like fighting for him to get into gifted education. So here's a kid that the system had kind of given up on. And it took me and her a year to get him into gifted education to find out this kid. Yes, he has a disability, but if he hears it, he has it. And Hmm. I, I call him the professor and I told him one day he's going to win a Nobel prize for, for something. I said, you're going to do something in agriculture, in horticulture with entomology. I said, but you're going to win a Nobel prize. You're going to change the world. And, you know, now this kid is going into seventh grade (laughs) and he wants to get into some type of bioengineering. You know, I think about these kids, 
Some of them are now, you know, seniors in high school, going into their senior year in high school. But these are kids that I had a chance to work with and who still come back and volunteer with me and who have gardens at home. So, you know, when I, when you have parents who call you and say, Miss Harris, we need worms. Can you get us worms? And I'm like, absolutely. And I'm here delivering worms to people. And, you know, it's, it, it does something to you. So I'm, I was really thankful that in 2019, I was able to retire, retire early and run my nonprofit full time, you know, and, and then we hit the pandemic. It went from not just teaching children and putting gardens in schools, but then it became about, we have to feed people. So using school gardens to produce food, to help feed families and to teach families how to, to grow right at their school. Every, every neighborhood has a school. That's something that's there and that's accessible. So we were using public school spaces to grow food for people. And now even, you know, we're moving on and helping with community gardens. And I, I still get kids out there and I'm like, come on, kids. It's up to you. You have to change this world. Yeah, that's kind of my story. <laughs> that's my story. That now I don't wear nails anymore. I am that, that Jersey girl. I can't tell you the last time I bought a pair of shoes. I gave my nieces are now like 21 and 28. And I just told them we all wear the same size shoe. And I'm like, you know, girls, Sanson's never going to wear these shoes again. You can get them. And yeah, now I really am all about seeds and <laughs> yep. gardening is my life. It, it's just an amazing journey. And I'm thankful every day that, you know, most people get to, if you're lucky, you get to live your passion. I got to live my passion twice. Mm. I got to be a teacher. I, I was my dream to be a teacher. Even though the first time I went to college, I went for business. I went for marketing because I grew up in a family that, you know, my parents owned their own business. My brother went to college for business. My sister's in school for law. And I was the oddball who was like, yeah, I'm, I don't like marketing. I'm going to go for education. And they were like, okay, <laughs> all right. You know, then to leave it and to say, oh, I still love educating people, but now I'm going to do it and educate people about growing their own food. So that's my journey. I want to say how inspiring and wonderful that was to hear Thank your you. passion to passion <laughs> journey. And it's great that, you know, that you have multiple passions. I think that's true for many of us that we have, yes. you know, segments of our lives that aren't developed yet and we just mm -hmm. haven't turned to them and explored them or gone back to them and how rewarding you make it all sound like you know if you can just pass that on to one child and open their eyes and or come at a different angle you know mm -hmm. a lot of us there are people who learn better from watching other people do things or doing it with their hands. Right. They learn from reading it in books. So yes. there's all types of learning, you know, specialties, but being able to do it out there in the garden with your hands and experience it, experiential learning is so much more rewarding. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. And so what I wanted to talk about first um, in all the things you talked about is your, the garden curriculum. And you mentioned that, you know, your first lesson was from the math, you know, teaching math. But of course, we can teach vocabulary, we can teach art, we can teach everything. I can't think of any curriculum that can't be taught in the garden. Absolutely. And one of the things that that 
really, I, I think, surprised a lot of my colleagues even. Like they would come to me and I, my, one of my favorite, favorite stories about when I was still teaching at Bullock Elementary, you know, I had a first grade teacher come to me and said, hey, we're doing this book and the book is called Tops and Bottoms. And it's about food that grows and you eat the top or things that are root vegetables. And she goes, you know, do we still have carrots in the garden? And I was like, no, but leave it up to me. When do you want to do this book? When do you want to do this with your kids? Because she, they wanted the first grade kids to harvest carrots. So they realized it came from the ground. I went to ShopRite. I'll never forget. I went to them and I was like, hey, I need carrots that still have the tops on them. And they're like, okay, how many? And I was like, 85 carrots. And they were like, oh, okay. When do you need these by? I told them. I was outside. I went to school that day because we have three raised, raised beds at that school. And at 5 a.m., I was outside sticking my arm into these raised beds, planting these carrots so these children would be able to harvest them. So I'm putting them in there and watering them like, oh, God, please stay fresh. Please stay fresh. And being able to look out my window when, you know, my, my classroom window and to see these first grade kids out there harvesting these things and the shock on their face. And the teachers were able to teach science, weather. They did reading. They did vocabulary. They did math because they were out there. And of course, they're doing measurement. They're talking about taste. So all of these things that are important for child development, teachers were able to do. And they were shocked at how much they could do with one picture book and the garden. So it, I became the person who was like writing lessons, like, okay, what book are you doing this week? Wonderful. Let's take it across the board. And I mean, all of STEM, which we actually said STEAM, so it's science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Even talking to the world language teacher, like I said, the, the gym teacher, the music teacher, the art teacher, and we would do this school-wide. So no matter what theme a grade level was working on, I'm coming home at night and I'm helping develop lessons or lesson extensions for the other teachers in my building. And I did that for from 2015 till I left in 2019. So it, it, in one year, we even ran a STEAM camp and we did everything with the garden. So it, it shocks people to see like how much you can do and then you can eat. <laughs> so at the end of it, you can even eat what your, what your project is. So it's, it's absolutely amazing to do. And I always tell teachers like, you know what, don't let your fear hold you back. And I think it's a great place for children to learn patience and how to overcome failure. And, you know, we always, we live in this world where we want children to like, almost like you want to put the, the, the cushions down so kids don't fall hard, but kids have to. And I don't mean that literally. I mean, you have to have failures in order to figure out what to do to either avoid failure or to welcome it and say, this is how I learn. Mm-hmm. And as a special educator, I had to do that with a lot of kids, not just gen, not just special ed kids, but also with gen ed kids who maybe had parents who were 
helicoptery, <laughs> you know, who were, oh no, my child will do this. And kids, it, when you have little kids who were pressured, I remember little kids who, I had one little girl who was on the computer looking at colleges in first grade. And it was like, it's okay to not do everything perfectly. It's okay to not understand something. And you take a kid out to the garden and go, all right, why did this plant die? And they instantly turn into problem solvers. Well, maybe we should do this and maybe we should do that. And as a teacher, you step back and you just become a facilitator and let the kids learn through discovery. And it's just a wonderful thing to to witness. And it's a wonderful thing just to see. And it's a wonderful thing to add to every single curriculum. My, my goal is to see garden education become the norm and not an extra. Yeah. And I would say that being able to have an end product, whether it's good or bad, mm-hmm. you know, it's a humbling experience, sometimes gardening, <laughs> what you thought was going to happen might not actually happen. Some seeds just will never germinate for That's you. Right. They, they came bad. It wasn't you. <laughs> sometimes a plant will come and just not take off at all. Yes. Um, so those, those are great life experiences in general, but you know, mm-hmm. outside of the education system, it's just great life learning. And then of course, there's the whole overlap with nutrition and mm-hmm. self-sufficiency and being able to say that this is yours. That's the other thing that I think is ownership. If you give children, you know, this is your pot, your container, or this is your row, everybody has the ownership over that. And then they, they can have pride in what they did as well. That's right. When I work with schools, I always tell them, you know, one of the conditions is any adult can never say, well, this is our garden. As an adult, you can't say our, you can't say my, you can't, you can't use those terms. You have to always refer to it as belonging to the children. So I don't care how old they are. If they're preschool up to high school, you have to use that language that means it's theirs because it really is. And I tell them the kids need to be in the planning. The kids need to be the ones who are working it. The the adults need to defer to the children because that ownership is everything. It's everything. And that helps build passion. And then, of course, when the kids are passionate, they take that home. And that's when I get the, that's when you get the parents who are calling Miss Harris for worms because their child has told them we need to have a compost bin. So, you know, that's that's really what we want to do. And for Bullock Garden Project, and I just want have to say, I have to give the shout out to Bullock Elementary School, the Bullock family, because that school is named after the very first African-American administrator in Glassboro, New Jersey. It's the Dorothy Bullock Elementary School. So when I was planning it, because I'm a teacher, I had a binder that said Bullock Garden Project. And when I had to name the nonprofit, I was like, I'm calling it the Bullock Garden Project. And I still use that binder. So um, the Bullock family, you know, gave me permission to to still use their name. And we still take care of the garden at Bullock Elementary School. But when I, when I talk to families, you know, they'd say, Hey, my kid came home and they want kale. Where do I get kale? And I'm like, not a problem. I'll give you seeds we really work with a lot of families and a lot of schools that serve underserved populations. So 
we are in schools in neighborhoods where people have been historically marginalized, where there's uh, food insecurity, and there's nothing like giving people the power to grow food. So true. And I I love that background of Bullock is actually some history to it for the community as well. And so for those just starting off gardening, maybe themselves or gardening with small children and with the limitations of the school year, which is not the harvest time, you you miss the whole summer. So we can talk about that, uh, those um, considerations in a minute. But what would be your first things that you would grow with a, a child just to have a quick accomplishment and to, to show some success right away? Radishes. First thing that I like growing with kids are radishes, just because they can watch it and it's going to produce in about a month. And like I said, like there's a lot of other things you can do. You know, I've had, I've done microgreens with kids. I've done grass. I've done wheat with kids just so they can see it uh, germinate really quickly. But radishes, for them to be able to watch the development, to watch, or a beet, even beets take a little longer, but radishes take about four weeks. The kids can watch it grow. And then there's nothing like letting them use their little fingers and they can peek and to look at the development of the radish beneath the soil and to know when it's ready. So I really love growing that with kids. And the funny part is I'm someone who never really liked radishes, but to see kids snatch radishes out of the ground and just wipe it on their shirt and start eating it, it's that's amazing. And the, you want to talk about being punked out by some children. I had kids that were like, come on, Miss Harris, come on and eat it. And I was like, oh. Like in my head, I'm like, oh no, I don't like these. But you fake it and just go, this is the best because they grew it. And I want them to be really happy and excited about it. So you never yuck their yum. If they grow it, just you just suck it up. And, and as an adult, you just eat it. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's unripe. You eat it and it's the best thing that you've ever had. So I was going to say that I am a big radish fan myself. And the, and the great thing about radishes is they're, is they're cool season. So you can do both the spring and fall crops. So it's perfect timing along with lettuces and other greens for yeah. school gardens. And you can do it indoors. So that's one of the things like we've been able to do in um, plastic cups. You can put a couple holes in the bottom of a plastic cup and the kids can watch that, that radish actually develop. And it's, it's really cool for them to see. So, yeah. Yeah, I love doing any of that stuff. And then, of course, if you're growing a salad, you know, the kids see it from start to finish and put a ton of lettuces there. They can eat it while they're outside tending to the garden. And at the end of it, you have a salad party. Hmm, that sounds like a lot of fun. I know as a kid, salad wasn't my favorite thing. Maybe it still isn't. I'll confess to that. <laughs> <laughs> but... If you grew it yourself, you're you're definitely going to take much more enjoyment out of it, of course. And I was going to say, how about on the non-edible side of gardening? So maybe gardening for pollinators or growing flowers for pleasure. Is that part of the the school curriculum that you develop as well? Absolutely, because we talk about the interrelationship between all beings. So even you know, putting out a pollinator garden and again, having the kids research it, have them planning it. So, um, you know, again, I'm going to refer back to Brie Arthur. 
uh, when I was working with the kids at Bullock Elementary, and Bree would come up twice a year and do um, sewing with the kids. And I told her, I, I called her in advance and I said, hey, the kids have decided they want to build a pollinator garden. And we would already put, you know, flowers in there and explain because we need bees and butterflies and birds to help all of our food grow. But the, the kids had really done this extensive research in the garden club and the list they came up with, I had to take a picture of what I had written on the board because the kids were telling me and I'm writing it on the board, took a picture and sent it to her. And oh my gracious, they planted this beautiful pollinator garden. So they had different types of milkweed. They had common milkweed. They had, um, of course, swamp milkweed. I remember they had uh, Monarda. They had all sorts of Rebecca. They had, I mean, you name it. It was in the garden. And what was fascinating was even as, as adults, we're out there and we are just like gobsmacked looking at, you know, oh my gosh, that's, that's a goldfinch, you know, seeing goldfinches and hummingbirds. And the kids were just like, yeah, we know. That's why we had that planted because it, it attracts hummingbirds or it attracts this. So we, now we have the kids teaching us. Like, this is why we did this. And they're teaching the teachers. So that's always part of it. But I take things a step further and say, well, you know, kids, we have to understand now, Bullock Garden is open. There's no fencing. It's in an open space. Deer will visit. Turtles. We've had turtles. We've had snakes. We've had toads. We've had all sorts of critters in the garden, even bagworms. So we've had pests even. And using those as lessons to teach about the interrelationship between all living things, all living things is so critical. I always tell people, you know, yes, you may get deer in your garden. Don't try to keep them out necessarily. Plant a lot of extra because having the deer come into your garden is a big lesson for kids. So not only are you problem solving, what can we plant that they don't want to eat? What can we put here that's going to deter them? But kids understand the importance of also giving back to the earth. And I always teach the kids that we always have to plant extra because yes, there's deer and there's birds and there's bees and there's, you know, different creatures that like to eat the same things we do. Now we have to talk about pest control and we, we plant, uh, we companion plant to reduce that. We go outside and we pick things off. We will relocate tomato hornworms, which was a big lesson for a lot of grownups that like, you know, you don't have to kill it, relocate it because it's either going to be food for something else or <laughs> it's going to turn into this beautiful moth. So, or we, 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 we would plant extra tomatoes and relocate it to the uh, sacrificial tomatoes. So it's really important to, to teach kids all of those things because kids understand so much better the relationship that we all have when it comes to making a healthy ecosystem. Because humans are so selfish in thinking that, you know, we are it. We are the highest life form. And I'm like, really, if you look at plants, I, I'm, I'm just going to say everything else is a higher life form than humans. We just have the capacity of talking to each other and we think we are. 
But when we look at the actual science and the wonder behind how everything else relates, it's just incredible. And children get that so quick. And when they get that, we're also building into them this love of the earth, which is what we really want. These are going to be our future stewards of the earth. So instead of teaching them how to keep things totally out, just say, yeah, you know what? The deer came in, you know, sorry, that's, that's my service dog. She hears some noise outside and she's alerting me that someone's approaching the house. So that's Amazon. Um, so sorry, sorry for that right now. Yeah. Amazon could be a little bit of a trial for some dogs. I know. Yes. She, she can hear it. She's very good and she can hear it, but she also is a garden puppy. So she, she loves uh, eating things out of the garden, like like my blueberries. <laughs> so, and she loves vis- visiting schools with me too. You know, but having kids just, you know, to say, okay, yes, the deer ate this. What can we do for the deer? And it helps build that compassion in them to say, oh, that's right. The deer also need food because... Humans are are cutting down their homes at a record pace. New Jersey is one of the most densely populated, or is the most densely populated state. And it's they're constantly building new homes, new housing developments, and we're losing a lot of the native untouched scapes that we had here. And they're just building more and more homes. So for the students to be able to stop and say, wow, this is why the deer are coming to our garden, or this is why the rabbits are coming. Let's figure out how we can help them. And, you know, it's also very funny to see kids discover deer waste. (laughs) And to have to tell kids, it's not stones, sweetheart. That's not pebbles. (laughs) Don't touch it. But when the kids find out and they know the benefits of worm poop, and trust me, if you say that to kids, it, they, it buys them in because, you know, I, I'm telling you as someone who taught first, second, third, and fourth grade, poop is hilarious. So to say worm poop to kids and explain it to them, they think it's the best thing in the world. So when they realize, oh, this is rabbit poo or deer poo, the first thing that these kids will do is say, okay, can we put this back into the garden? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, this, is what, this is what it's all about. There is no waste here, that everything that is produced here benefits something in some way. I love that they're making that connection, that whole circle connection. I was going to say that one of the great points you made is gardening with children benefits the mentee, the mentor, as well, uh, because you get to see it through the eyes of a child. So, you know, we might be bored by something, we might have overlooked something, and a child will see it, and we'll see it in a whole new way, or be exposed to it in a whole new way that we as adults, you know, have either just glossed over or never even stopped to think about. Right. And kids just have this wonderment. And it's, it's amazing to look at things through the eyes of a child and the questions they come up with, the reasoning that they come up with. It's fabulous. And I, I tell parents too, parents, anyone, and this is my little tidbit of advice for anyone who has a child in their life and you garden, give the kids just some packs of seed and let them do whatever. 
I tell them, I tell people all the time, just let the kids throw seed. It'll grow. You know, you might have a clump of carrots, but guess what? Your children will love it. My niece is four. And, you know, you, in a lot of my videos, people will see her gardening with me. She, I give her seeds all the time. And I'm just like, you just do whatever you do, babe. Sometimes she scatters them. Sometimes she'll just dump them out. And then I can either take that as a learning opportunity for her and talk about as I'm, I'm saying carrots, cause this is what we were actually doing today. Um, early this morning, when we went out to water things, we had to thin out her carrots some more. I had to explain, you know, this is why we need to put space in between them, but she's not ruining the garden. So grownups step back. It's okay to not have it be perfect. Let the kids have space in your garden. Let them have space throughout. It's not just about the aesthetics. It's about teaching them. And I think as grownups, we get so stuck on, well, I want it to look this way that we forget that there's a world of discovery and learning that you're taking away from children. It doesn't have to be perfect. Life is not perfect. Let them see the imperfectness of what happens when you grow carrots too close together or why you don't put tall plants in the, in the front and short plants in the back. Let them discover that it's okay. It's okay. And it's about the experience, not the results. And that's what we should be teaching them. The enjoyment of doing it and just being in it. And that's so important today that people are so fixated on what they can take a picture of at the end. Yes. <laughs> that, that are not thinking about gardening is actually the experience and the time spent doing it together. So that's another great aspect of gardening with children is that it is quality time in spades. You know, it's not just quality one-on-one -on -one time, but you are developing together. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's the most fun. It's the most fun. So I, I love doing it. And, and I tell people all the time, like, don't come to my garden expecting to see this perfect little aesthetic thing. You know, you're going to see dead plants. You're going to see things planted way too close together because I do let children um, come here. I, I invite people to come to my space. And I always tell them, if you want, you know, your kid to do some gardening and if you don't have room, come on over to the garden teacher's yard and, you know, I will let your kid dig up some space. It's not a problem. It's soil, it's grass, it's seed. They're not hurting anything. They're learning, they're enjoying. And if we watch them, we're also getting to be a part of their joy. You can't pay for that. That is something that so many people are just missing out on. You want to smile for days and you want to have something that you can lay your head on the pillow at night and just reflect and just have this joy sweep over you. Just garden with kids. Go outside with kids. Let them lead. Let them tell you what to do. It's the best. It's the best ever. And, you know, and I'm passionate about it. So I'm like, I'm over here. You can't see me. I'm like, my hands are going because I talk with my hands and I'm excited just thinking of it. And in my head, I'm just flashing through the times that I've gardened with kids and, and working with kids and watching children do this. And it's absolutely life changing. And I'm an example of it. It's life changing. And it's so true coming full circle that the memories you're creating in those children 
they're going to maybe get away from it for a while. They're going to, you know, go through their teenage years and high school and maybe start their own young families. And then it will all come tumbling back. I always call that like, you know, your institutional memory. All of a sudden you're out there, you smell the soil, you've got the seeds in your hand and they're like, oh, I remember working with Ms. Harris and this is what we did. So we'll do it like this. And it all comes back. I laugh. My mom laughs at me all the time. She's like, yeah, I remember the days when you just wouldn't touch it. And I'm like, she's like, now you don't go in the house. Like people come over, they know, look for me in the backyard. Don't, don't come knock on the door. The first thing you need to do is come to the back of the house because no matter what time of year it is, there's a good chance I'm outside, you know, cause I'm even in the winter, what I love doing out in the snow, I love putting even seeds out onto the snow. It's, you know, my poppies and larkspur and things like that. So I can, I can have these beautiful results that come up later. And there's just nothing like being outside in the element, just watching. It's, it's a 24, seven, 365 thing for me. I even dream about gardening. <laughs> I think, I think you're a 100% garden addict. <laughs> <laughs> like many of us and and passing that on is there's no harm in that and there's a lot of benefits in that so that's right that is an addiction that i can get behind mm-hmm. <laughs> it is exactly you know, like today i'm very excited to go outside and harvest string beans so <laughs> awesome well as you're harvesting those string beans and enjoying them for when you eat them or freeze them and have them later on, I wanted to ask how listeners can get in contact with you and then any final thoughts. So we'll start with contact information. Yes. Well, I, I'm across social media as NJ Garden Teacher, and it stands for New Jersey Garden Teacher. I use Instagram the most because I love looking at everyone's pictures. I'm a visual person, so I love looking at at pictures and and videos of other people's gardens. But you can reach me, um, like I said, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok, even though I'm not great with it as NJ Garden Teacher. You can go find us at Bullock Garden, B-U-L-L-O-C-K Garden. Uh, that's mostly on Instagram. You can also look for us at on YouTube. I have a YouTube that I'm just kind of learning. We have a social media team and they are helping me learn how to how to YouTube. <laughs> so, so usually on Mondays, it's just me talking about my garden what I'm planting. And I try to do a teaching element. I'm saying I try, I do a teaching element with it. Um, so it's just a short video and I might teach about the benefits of something I'm planting. Um, on Wednesdays, I do a story. So it's called planted in books. I just read a book and it's just something for families or teachers that want to find a really good book about gardening, you can, you know, just put it on and I'm just reading the book. And hopefully if you listen to, I always give away a couple copies of the book. So if you leave a comment on that video and just say, Hey, do you have any other copies? If I do, I will send it to you. And on Fridays I do, um, American Meadows, Um, so I, I have a partnership with them and I'm working on this home meadow that, uh, that I do. And I'm trying to think any other way, if put it this way, if you can find me 
just get me <laughs> because I love talking to people. I answer everyone back. And um, yeah, and just please just look for NJ Garden Teacher and somehow just communicate with me. I love talking to people about gardening. Great. And we'll also have a link in the show notes to the Willick Garden Project and to that website so they can read more about it there. Yes. Oh, and you can apply for um, garden help on our website. We do send out seeds to people for free. We get seeds donated to us from different places. And we try to do this just to promote gardening for everyone. Wonderful. And any final advice for anyone who has a child who is asking about gardening in their life? Get them outside. Just let them do it. Go to to Dollar Tree or one of the, the stores where you can buy cheap packs of seed. Or I tell people like, you know, you don't have to go to Whole Foods. You can go to Aldi's. Get some garlic. Put it in the ground with a kid. Just do something. Do something. And let them discover. Go out there once a week. Let them water it. Just get your kids outside. Especially in these times, the grocery stores are, you know, low on food. This is a great time to get out with your child and just throw some beans in the ground and see what happens. If you need help, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help because it's that important that everyone eats. It's that important that everyone falls in love with the earth. So just please get your kid out there. No matter what it takes, get your kid out there. Contact me. I'll send you seeds. Get your kids out there and let them get their hands dirty. Let them get their hands dirty. Excellent. That's wonderful advice, Sonia. And thank you so much for being on the Garden DC podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to to just be here. Thank you so much, Kathy. Anise hyssop, plant profile. Anise hyssop, Agastache funiculum, is a perennial plant that is native to most of North America. It is hardy to USDA zones 3 to 8. It is not a long-lived plant, but makes up for it by self-sowing itself about. I often find volunteer plants coming up in the cracks of my driveway. You can deadhead it to encourage reblooming and prevent prolific reseeding. Anise hyssop prefers full to part sun and is drought resistant once established. It can rot if planted in overly moist soils. It is deer and rabbit resistant as well. It is a great pollinator garden addition. The flower spikes can range from almost white to deep blue. It is visited by bees, butterflies, beetles, and hummingbirds. Goldfinches and other birds enjoy eating the dried seed heads. Anise hyssop is a member of the mint family and is not a true hyssop, despite its common name. When you crush the leaves, a mild licorice scent is released. It has herbal and culinary uses, most notably as a tea. It can also be used to flavor fruit salads and jellies. Popular cultivars include Golden Jubilee, which has chartreuse foliage, and Blue Fortune, which is a sterile hybrid with the Korean hyssop, Agastaki rugosa. Anise hyssop, you can grow that.
what's new in the garden this week? Well, over at the community garden plot, our tomatoes are starting to ripen and we're trialing one this year called Sun Dipper. It's a new variety for 2023 by Pan American Seed and it's a kind of elongated cherry tomato meant for picking up and dipping on a crudite platter and it is absolutely delicious without even any dip or garnish on it. Over at the home garden, I'm enjoying my crepe myrtles, including the shrub and dwarf varieties that I'm trialing. Some have dark foliage, some have different colored flowers, but they're all blooming right now and looking beautiful in this mid-late summer heat. In the local gardening world, a few upcoming events that you might want to add to your calendar. First is the National Capital Cactus and Succulent Society's annual sale at Brookside Gardens in Wheaton, Maryland. That takes place Saturday, August 6th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. in the main auditorium of the visitor center. And I recommend going early because they sell out quickly. So that opens at 10 a.m. Uh, the next event that I want to bring to your attention is Cultivate the City. Our friends uh, have moved outside Washington, D.C., a little bit further north, and they are holding a Plant Propagation 101 class seeds cuttings and clones on sunday august 7th from 11 a.m to 12 noon and you can find out more about that at facebook.com cultivate the city events and one more event to put on your save the date is uncommon evergreen and deciduous azaleas public sale that's being put on by the northern virginia chapter of the azalea society of america on saturday september 24th from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Kirkwood Presbyterian Church in Springfield, Virginia. You can find out more details about that at nv-asa.org backslash sale. Happy gardening! In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. When you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at washingtongardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.